on uh, furlough visiting their supporting churches. And uh, Michael and Julie Carlisle, uh, we have uh, supported for several years, and they're doing a creditable work in uh, Cambodia. And they're serving along with uh, their four girls, Rachel, Elizabeth, and Christy, and Katie are able to be here. Rachel and Elizabeth are not here, right? So they have two of their four girls with them. So we're delighted to be partnered with this uh, excellent family in ministry and delighted that they could come here and give us an update on what they've been doing, what the Lord's been doing in them and through their ministry. And uh, we look forward to how the Lord is going to instruct us through Brother Michael. Good morning. Uh, before we get going this morning, let's uh, start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning for the grace that we heard about this morning, the grace that we sang about, the grace that you sent your Son to die to purchase for us. We thank you for the grace that has been applied to our account with the righteousness that you have applied to our account, that we might walk righteously before you. We pray, Lord, that in this next 45 minutes that you would be with us, that we would be here together as a community, not just in name, but as a community, centered around the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he is present with us. We pray, Lord, that these next 45 minutes would be profitable for us to share what Christ is doing around the world and what you would have us to do here in North America. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us. Uh, we will not be able to do any good thing this morning unless you are with us and you bless us. And so we ask for your presence and your blessing this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, as Pastor Ken mentioned, my name is Michael Carlisle. I am here with uh, my wife and two daughters. I'll just go ahead and have them stand so you can see what we look like. As he said, we have six people on our prayer card. Two of them aren't here because they are in college now. We have, uh, we're working towards being empty nesters. We still have three years left, I think. Is that right? Three years left? Yeah, so... These two are quickly following. We'll be, ba we'll be back in the U.S. next year, so Christy can start college, and then two years after that, so Katie can start. So. But uh, Rachel and Beth are down at Bob Jones studying, getting things ready, and getting the semester underway. Uh, we have been in Cambodia for three years now, as of yesterday. Yesterday was our third year anniversary. Uh, when we were here at first, we were not missionaries to Cambodia. Some of you might be going, I remember his name, but they weren't in Cambodia. They were somewhere else. Does anybody know or remember where we were going before? I heard a bunch of words. Somebody said Brazil. <laughs> That's right. We were missionaries to Brazil. We started deputation to go to Brazil in 2006. Um, we had earned roughly half of our support by the uh, third quarter of 2008. Chris C. Wright, a graduate of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary and a friend of mine, was on furlough from Cambodia and sat down. He asked me to go to Starbucks with him. And I thought that was weird because Chris doesn't drink coffee. And you have to be suspicious when somebody that doesn't drink coffee asks you to Starbucks. And so we're at a missions conference. <clears throat> uh, I'm having coffee. He's having a chai tea or something weird like that. I don't know what all they serve at Starbucks. And we're sitting down talking about things, and he's telling me a little bit about Cambodia. And finally, he looks across the table, and he says, Michael, I'd like to ask you a, a strange question. I said, sure. Now, this is the night at that missions conference. I'm presenting my future ministry in Brazil showing my presentation, and Chris says, maybe two hours before that, would you consider changing your field to Cambodia? And I thought to myself, that's got to be one of the most audacious questions I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I'm more than half, halfway to Brazil, and uh, I'm presenting Brazil that evening, and Chris says, we have almost no missionaries in Cambodia. It's an open field. Most people don't even know you can go to Cambodia. 
and we have very few people there, especially in the parts of the country where we work. They work in the, in, in the rural parts of Cambodia. In Cambodia, it's kind of divided by, by Phnom Penh, which is a major city. Uh, in a country of 14 million people, you have over 2 million living in Phnom Penh, and everybody else is spread across an area the size of Nebraska in little villages. And that's where Chris works, is out in those little villages where there's almost no missionaries. Everybody's in Phnom Penh. So he said, would you consider moving to... Uh, or changing your field to Cambodia? And I thought, that is just, that's a crazy question. But I told him, I said, what I thought was one thing, what I said was another. I said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody says? I'll pray about it. And I did pray about it. I prayed that evening about it. And uh, that was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something, maybe even a Thursday, I forget. It was in the middle of the week anyway. And uh, on the way back home from that missions conference, uh, we were going to stop at Bob Jones and meet up with a, uh, a missionary friend of ours that was on furlough from Brazil, not the person we were going to co-work with, but another person from Brazil. And he told us that the person we were going to co-work with was having some troubles and might be coming off the field. Uh, that's really interesting. Earlier in the week, Chris asked me if I'd consider changing my field from Brazil to Cambodia. A couple days later, the second half of my video presentation that talks about me working in a church plant situation with this person... <laughs> is now potentially invalid. And so we went home and we talked with our uh, sending church pastor about that. We talked with our mission board about it. And they said, you need to think about this very seriously uh, if, if you are open to going to Cambodia, which we were. We were open to changing. So at that point, we talked with, I think we had 18 supporting churches. This was one of our supporting churches, one of our early ones. Uh, we talked with the, the pastor or the missions committee director, whatever, of all 18 of our supporting churches, and the response was very positive. I expected to lose support over this. In other words, we took you on to send you to Brazil, but now you're changing. We didn't lose any support over the change. Uh, we had pastors say things like, can you go to Cambodia? I thought it was communist and you couldn't go. Oh, no, it's, it's open. We can go. Uh, I had a pastor tell me that they took me on because of my kids, so as long as my kids were going with me, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of pastors tell me we have missionaries in Brazil. We'd rather see somebody in Cambodia. That would be uh, an area that we want to grow in is this 1040 window in Southeast Asia. And so we didn't lose any support. Our support level, our support required support amount dropped. So technically we gained for doing nothing because it's cheaper to live in Cambodia than Brazil. But also uh, we, had bought, we had gone to a couple of churches while we didn't even have a field to present on our table. We had the Carlisles, missionaries to dot, 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 because we weren't official yet for Cambodia, but we couldn't sincerely say Brazil anymore. And we gained a couple of churches in that transition and immediately were at 75% from 50, and it took us nine months to finish what took us two and a half years to start. And so uh, the Lord moved us very quickly at the beginning of 2009, and we arrived on the field uh, three years ago yesterday. No, we left three years ago yesterday. We arrived three years ago today, tired and jet-lagged and in a place where they speak a language that you don't know. <laughs> I'll explain more about that in a minute. But we are very grateful for uh, that change. I've spent some time explaining that to you because uh, I did uh, come and present Brazil to this church. Um, I want to, first of all, thank you very much for keeping us uh, when we made that transition. Thank you very much for the support that you have given us over the last three years, both in your prayers, knowing that you read our prayer letters and keep up with us. We want to thank you for your financial support that allows us to focus very much on the ministry of the preaching proclamation of the gospel and the uh, planting of churches, which I'm going to talk about here in just a minute. Uh, what I'd like to do at this time is 
Uh, I'm going to show you the video presentation that we put together for Brazil. I'm going to let the whole thing run because there are so many new people here that don't really know our family. I'll let it explain about the, um, the uh, biographical information as well. But uh, Brazil is, I just want to say this much. If you go, <laughs> see, the last time I talked to this church, it was Cambodia or Brazil. So <laughs> she is a helpmate. <laughs> <laughs> Were it not for her, I'd be back in Brazil this fall and not know what was different. <laughs> uh, thank you, honey. And she's helped me more than that this morning already. Uh, yes, we do have new prayer cards on the table. They say Cambodia on them. So despite what I say up here, if you look at the card, <laughs> it will tell you where we really are. Um, I'm going to let the video presentation go. I, I kept messing up and saying Brazil because it used to be a presentation about Brazil. The second half of it uh, was copied from the other one, but there are enough new people here that I wanted to explain how we got to the mission field in the first place, and uh, what I was going to say about Cambodia is that if you go to Wikipedia, you're going to see that Cambodia professes to be a Buddhist nation. It's actually a very typical Buddhist nation. I want you to to look at carefully what my presentation says about Buddhism in Cambodia, because it's not much different than Buddhism in Thailand. It's not different than Buddhism in Myanmar. It's not different than Buddhism anywhere else in the world except for maybe China and Japan where it's really watered down so much it's really different. But Buddhism in most of these places is not Buddhism, it's animism. And you're going to get a sense of that when you uh, watch the presentation. So I just want to highlight that here. And I'll go ahead and get this going. That is not the Cambodian language there. That's Hebrew. Okay. The Killing Fields. This name has scarred Cambodia since the tide of destruction left by the communist Khmer Rouge. On April 17, 1975, the Khmer Rouge invaded Cambodia's capital city, Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh citizens were driven out of their homes into the surrounding countryside at gunpoint, and Cambodia was forced to return to a primitive agricultural society. Money and trade were abolished. Western medicine, education, and the practice of religion were strictly forbidden, and Christian missionaries forced to leave. Anyone suspected of opposing the Khmer Rouge was tortured and executed for being anti-revolutionary, even women and children. The educated and business classes were systematically eliminated and the economy completely destroyed. By 1979, two million people died under the influence of the Khmer Rouge, some through interrogation and execution, but many by starvation, overwork, and disease. The small remnant of Cambodian Christians was nearly extinguished. Cambodia will never forget the bloody stain left on its past by the Khmer Rouge. But neither has it forgotten the former glory of the ancient Khmer Empire, once the most powerful and advanced civilization in Southeast Asia. Their flag is a constant reminder of that glorious empire and its capital city, Angkor. Covering more than 100 square miles and built with more stone than the pyramids of Egypt, Angkor has been described as 
grander than anything left to us by Greece or Rome. With the destruction of the Khmer Rouge 30 years behind, Cambodia hopes to restore a measure of the prosperity it once enjoyed at Angkor. Despite some corruption, Cambodia's government is much more stable than in recent decades, a free democracy with a powerful prime minister and figurehead king. Much of the government's energy is spent on rebuilding what was destroyed by the Khmer Rouge, such as roads, utilities, and schools. Thanks to increasing tourism and a highly productive garment industry, Cambodia's economy is growing at a healthy pace. Phnom Penh's once empty streets are now bustling with over one million people, and there are signs of emerging Western influence throughout the city. Even with the steady growth of cities such as Phnom Penh, well over 70% of Cambodia's 14 million people live in rural farming communities. While the land is lush and green, few enjoy the privilege of paved roads, electricity, or even running water. Life in the Cambodian countryside is simple, and most people live off the land as rice farmers or fishermen. Buddhism teaches that life is an endless cycle of births and deaths, a constant struggle for survival. One's fortune in the life to come depends upon karma, the sum of one's deeds and misdeeds in the present life. This painful cycle of life and suffering is only broken by doing enough good deeds to achieve nirvana or extinguishment. Though Buddhism is deeply embedded in Cambodia's national identity, most don't follow its teachings carefully. Instead, they serve Buddha like a god, willing to bring health and prosperity to those whom he favors. Cambodians also fear many other spirits, household spirits, and the patron spirits of farmland and businesses. When a loved one dies, they must feed the departed spirit, or it will become angry and curse them. Cambodians love their parents and grandparents in life, but fear their vengeful anger and death. This much is certain about Cambodia's religion. The worship of Buddha and the spirits is merely a tool to gain health and prosperity in this life. In 2002, I was engaged in a successful career as a sales and marketing manager in the automotive sector of Detroit. Our family enjoyed life in a beautiful home on a large hillside property. Without a Christian education, I had no plans of entering full-time ministry, though I desired to serve the Lord faithfully in anything He called me to do. While serving at Grace Baptist Church in Waterford, Michigan, I was invited on a short-term missions trip to Brazil. On that trip in 2002, the Lord confronted me with a new question. Would I consider leaving my career for full-time missions? Michael committed to praying about it for one year. I had no desire to be a full-time missionary, and I was hoping his desire would fade over time. 
but it didn't. After a year in prayer, Michael had a deep conviction that the Lord was leading us into missions. In 2003, Michael and I went on another short-term trip to Brazil, and it was then that the Lord changed my heart. I knew that He was calling us into full-time missions. That fall, Michael began preparing for ministry at Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Virginia Beach, and the Lord provided abundantly through his job in Detroit. Michael graduated with the Master of Biblical Studies in the spring of 2006 and was ordained later that year by Grace Baptist Church of Hampton, Virginia. We started full-time deputation in 2007, intending to serve the Lord in Brazil. Meanwhile, Michael continued his studies at Central Seminary, and he graduated with the Master of Divinity in May of 2008. Though we were focusing on Brazil, we believed that the Lord had other plans for our family. Through conversations with my friend Chris Seawright in the fall of 2008, God began to open our hearts to Cambodia's great need for the gospel. My seminary experience had deepened our desire to be involved in pioneering missions, but with half of our support raised for Brazil, a change in mission field seemed impossible. After counseling with our supporting churches and mission board, we were overwhelmed by the desire of the body of Christ to see new missionaries in this very needy country. In October 2008, Michael, Rachel, and I made a survey trip to Cambodia. We learned that Cambodia has perhaps the fewest fundamental Baptist missionaries of any open country in the world. With the agreement of our supporting churches and mission board, we changed fields to Cambodia in November of 2008. After arriving in Cambodia, our first year will be spent in Phnom Penh, where we will study the difficult Khmer language, which has 33 consonants and 23 vowels. With most Christian missionaries working in cities such as Phnom Penh, we plan to serve long-term among the majority of Cambodia's people in the neglected rural provinces, places where Christ has not yet been named. We believe that the core of our mission is to glorify God by establishing indigenous churches where Cambodian men and women are discipled to become more like Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Luthi of Grace Baptist Church in Hampton, Virginia. Our church is honored to be the sending church for the Carlisle family as they go to the needy land of Cambodia. Many of us can remember when Cambodia under Pol Pot was called the Killing Fields. But now the Lord has opened up those same fields that are white unto harvest for gospel ministry. No one knows how long these fields will remain open, but we ask you to consider supporting the Carlisle family as they go to take the gospel to the needy land of Cambodia. Would you pray and ask the Lord how you can help? How many of you is that your first look into Cambodia had never really seen what it was like there before? Quite a few people. Not many people know. A lot of people, when we talk about Cambodia, think it's in Africa. I, I thought that when I was in junior high. I really did. Um, 
I mentioned the Buddhism thing. I want to talk about that for a second. Uh, they claim to be a Buddhist nation, but you see that they're worshiping all these different spirits. They're treating Buddha like a god, which is quite ironic because Buddha taught that there are no such things or gods, as gods or spirits that you can know and talk about. Uh, there's no such thing as a creator that can be defined or be known. And so he taught that discussing all these things and worshiping them is foolish and superstition. But here we are thousands of years later, and what are they doing? They're worshiping Buddha as if he is a spirit, as if he's a god that they can appeal to. And really, Cambodia has held to um, just a few concepts in Buddhism. They've kept the whole idea of karma and reincarnation. Uh, you know what reincarnation is, right? You come back as a different life form or as a per another person. And karma is good or bad deeds, merit, dismerit. Uh, but really, they've turned that whole concept, the whole concept of karma around it. Now it means something totally different. When Buddha was alive, he taught that karma is the sum of good deeds or bad deeds, which would be a good deed, for example, would not be helping an old lady across the street or keeping yourself from lying or doing anything like we heard this morning. A good deed would be meditating. It would be expunging yourself of all emotion. It would be making yourself distant from anything. In fact, it was considered a good deed when the Buddha left his wife and his child to pursue religion. He abandoned them, wouldn't support them because he had no money. He became an ascetic. So that's what Buddha conceived of as a good deed. But today, this whole idea of karma is no longer about good deeds or bad deeds. It's about um, really making money. It's about good luck and bad luck. And so Buddhism today, as it's practiced in all these countries, is not what you, what you think it is or what you hear it is. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Buddhism now in our country. It's come over from Europe. And it's being practiced, to be honest with you, quite more faithfully that by the Westerners than it is anybody in Asia because they're reading the books. <laughs> Whereas in Asia, they're just going to the temple and they're using Buddha like a rabbit's foot. They're going, uh, they don't even believe that Buddha spirit lives in that statue. They go to the temple, they see this giant Buddha statue and they don't even believe that's him in there. Uh, they believe it's the spirit probably of some girl that died while she was pregnant or died a violent death while she was still a virgin. And she's a really bad spirit. And if you appeal to her, she's got a lot of power to help you too. Uh, so these are the kinds of things that they do, and they call it Buddhist. Uh, the monks, you can pay them. They'll come to your house and bless your new car, your new house, your whatever. Uh, and they'll drive spirits out of your house or help the good ones to come in. And uh, the monks will do that. And so Buddhism is not at all what, uh, what it was advertised to be by the Buddha himself. As I mentioned in my presentation, Cambodia is an open field. There are very few Cambodia or missionaries in Cambodia right now. Uh, there are 14 million people, probably 15 today. The, the statistics are from 2009. And uh, Cambodia is growing numerically a lot. But there are very few missionaries. In our province, the province we live in, there are 500,000 people. And until we came, there was only one missionary family there. Uh, there had been two before. There are now... Two. There are two fa families from some other uh, mission board. Uh, they're not Baptistic. They're some, I don't know what they are, to be honest with you. But uh, there are many provinces that have no missionaries living in them. And all the provinces are probably roughly about uh, 400 to six, 700,000 people. And so it's a very open field. Uh, we're fully supported, so we're no longer asking people uh, to support us additionally financially. We're asking people to go, to come with us. And we would love to see a family from this church come with us. Because the field is open, there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, we could certainly use the help, and there are lots of places where there is no missionary. 
Uh, to adjust one thing I said in the presentation really quickly, I said that there are many places where Christ has not been named. Actually, that statement is false. Every place in Cambodia listens to Joyce Myers at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> Every Cambodian has been to a seminar where if you come and listen to Jesus, about Jesus for 15 minutes, we'll hand you a bag of rice or we'll give you 5 or $10 away or whatever on the way out the door. But no Cambodian knows anything realistic about Jesus. Uh, so they're all familiar with the name, but that's about as far as it goes. But if you ask them what the gospel is, you ask them, I, I like to ask people, what is the cross? What is the cross? They say, well, it's the sign of salvation. And I say, no, it's not. It's a sign of punishment. It's, it's for a capital punishment. And they go, huh? But the Cambodian Red Cross helps people, right? <laughs> I, I like to tell them the history, and I use that to lead and to talk to them about the gospel. But to make the point, Cambodia is very ignorant about the gospel, Everybody knows the name Jesus. Everybody is completely ignorant of who Jesus is, totally ignorant of the grace that's in Jesus, and is living entirely for what I showed in the video, for money, for good luck, for prosperity, for wealth, for health. <clears throat> and that's perhaps why Joyce Myers is so popular. So enough about that. <clears throat> what I'd like to do at this point is share with you what we've been doing for the last three years. I mentioned in the presentation that we're going to uh, enter Cambodia into the main city, Phnom Penh, and our goal is to live in a place like this. Uh, the video, the parts of the video that you saw in the province, you know, the beginning of it was kind of separated into two parts. Before I got into the Buddhist part, the beginning was separated into two parts. You had the city, Phnom Penh part, then you had the, the rural, provincial Cambodia part. All that video was taken within just a few miles of where we live now. So this is, actually this place here is about, I would say, less than five miles from where we live. It's very close. Okay. So that's what we are, where we are living. Uh, we got to Cambodia in 2009, and we entered into Phnom Penh, which is the major city. Uh, actually, there's a couple major cities, but this is the big one. Uh, two million people. Uh, if you want to learn to speak Khmer, which is the Cambodian language, this is where you have to go. We entered in 2009. We stayed there for 18 months uh, doing things like initial entry and setup. We didn't speak the language at all. We had no idea how to live in Cambodia. Uh, we hired a Cambodian girl to come to our house to go to the market and buy food for us and to help cook the food because we had no idea. You saw some market scenes. You know, you, you walk into a market like that as a Westerner, and then what do you do? <laughs> what, do you, what do you buy? And when you get it back to the house, how do you kill the fish? And then what do you do with it afterwards? You know, those kinds of questions. Well, we hired a young lady named Nuit. If you've been following our presentation, I've got to tell you these names because you've been reading them and not knowing how to pronounce them. Nuit is the girl that you guys prayed for and uh, she was saved in the first year of our ministry. I can't really take credit for that because she was saved as a part of our ministry, but really uh, the church that we were going to, she began fellowshipping with the ladies in that church, and they really uh, worked with her a lot to lead her to the Lord. I did struggle to explain a couple of concepts to Newit, and I praised the young woman for being as patient as she was, listening to me hack her language while trying to explain Romans one twenty-two. <laughs> But for our first year, I was in language study. Uh, what that means is I had two teachers coming to my house twice a day, each for two hours, and then studying on my own. And so I barely spoke the language at first. I couldn't really be involved in ministry, as it says here. Uh, almost no teaching except for the few times that knew it really had to bear with me. And praise the Lord for the work in, in her life there. This is what the language looks like. Uh, this is Genesis 1, 1 through 5 in the Khmer language. Uh, Khmer is actually the, their word for their culture and language. It is nothing like English at all. 
the grammar is not like English. It's a subject-verb-object language, and that's where the similarities evaporate. After that, it's all gone. Uh, if you learn a language like Spanish, you're going to find that Spanish and English share a lot of root words, and they're going to be very familiar to you. Comprende? What does that mean? Do you comprehend? <laughs> Makes the point. Cambodian has nothing like that. Its, its root languages are Sanskrit and Malay, and so there's no connection with English. You are starting from ground zero with this language. Uh, the writing system obviously looks nothing like our language. And so uh, Baptist Med, our mission board, told us to anticipate being in language school longer than a typical missionary going to a place like South America or Europe because it's going to be very, very hard. I'll just read a couple of verses for you so you can hear what this sounds like. It's not going to sound like Spanish either. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is verse 2. And there are plenty of places in there. Whenever I talk about God, I am using probably three or four words where the English Bible uses just one because Cambodia, the, the language has levels. You, you talk about a dog one way, you talk about people another way, and you talk about a king or a god with a totally different set of vocabulary that uses prefix words and it speaks very ornately. Uh, to be honest with you, most people that I'm teaching don't know some of the words that I just read to you because it takes education to know them and they almost no education out there. And so I'm, in some sense, also teaching their language as I come across a passage and I tell them that Christ is the preseresia of the church. They go, what's that? And I say, it's the head. They go, oh, okay. <laughs> that happens all the time. So this is the language. You can see all the numbers at the top, Genesis 1 through 50. Those are the numbers. Major ministry transition happened in March of 20, uh, 2011. We moved from Phnom Penh uh, with the goal in mind of going out to the province, the provincial areas, and we moved to Bo Sat. It's uh, one of the central provinces. It is really to Cambodia what, what uh, Iowa is to the United States. You know, Iowa produces more corn and, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of wheat, more than most other states in our nation. Well, Bo Sat produces most of the rice in Cambodia. It's a, a very provincial, all farmers, like I mentioned a second ago, almost no education. Also, almost no missionaries. It's a very difficult place to live, and people uh, just find it very hard to live in these areas. Uh, we joined the ongoing missionary of a missionary named Forrest McPhail. Uh, he has been in Cambodia. He's actually on furlough right now, but uh, before he left on furlough, he had been in Cambodia for something like 12 years and been in Posat for 10. Knows the language very well, knows the culture very well, had a church plant going, and it was a perfect opportunity for us to come in as uh, people with no language experience or experience with the culture and really learn at the street level what it means to live in Cambodia and how these people think and how they talk. Um, while I was there, I started off with uh, advanced language study. That was the most of my responsibilities. Again, getting back to this is not a language that you learn quickly like a European language. I learned colloquial speech, which is very important. If you're going to be in a discipleship relationship with people, you can't know only what you see on CNN. You know, people don't talk with a talking head voice when they're upset, when they're talking about family problems, or he's telling you how bad his wife is, or the kids are saying that mom and dad do this to me. They're not using the talking head voice, and they're using colloquial speech. And the sound of their 
the way they talk is different. The inflection of their tone is different. And you have to know what that is if you're going to disciple people. And so I spent a lot of time studying collo uh, colloquial speech. I'm not done with that, to be honest with you. Advanced grammar and then the higher vocabulary that I mentioned to you where we're talking about Jesus. And you cannot talk about Jesus as if you were talking to a dog or even a normal person. That would be to insult him. And so I had to learn these higher vocabulary words to talk about him and, of course, to be able to read the Bible. Um, limited and increasing ministry responsibility and mentoring by force. This was a, a tremendous blessing in our ministry. I came in with no Cambodian ministry experience and very limited knowledge of the language. Well, I get there and Forrest says, the first thing I want you to do is just start language study. Get a teacher, get working, do what you need to do. And then a couple of weeks later, he says, I've got a Bible study over here I'd like you to take on. Can you think about that and let me know? So I said, sure, I'll, I want to try it. At first, it took me probably about a week to prepare one hour's worth of talking in a lesson. It was that hard. I'd work hard all week long. I'd go and I'd talk. Forrest would come with me and I'd help because I'd mess up a lot. And I'd get done and I'd think, wow, an hour is so short. I spent a whole week just to talk about, and, and we're not talking about deep theological stuff or exegesis in the Greek and the Hebrew or anything complicated I learned to do in seminary. We're talking about just to say things normally. Um, over the course of the year and a half that we lived there, though, Forrest gradually increased my responsibility. Hey, we're going out on evangelism. Why don't you come with us? And then we'd get there, and he'd make me talk. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, we would go and do other things, and he would get me involved in that to the point where he had me teaching most of the time in the men's meeting at the church, uh, doing other speaking engagements. And so really, Forrest started off small and grew my experience very carefully uh, very wisely, knowing where I am in the language, knowing where the people are and where he is after 10 years, to the point that when he left on his furlough in June, there was no big transition. It was just more work than it was before. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't like, I'm scared because all of a sudden I'm doing a bunch of new things. It wasn't like that at all. It was, I'm doing the same things I have been doing all along now, except I'm doing more of them because I no longer have my coworker. So I say that just to praise the Lord that uh, he gave us such a great co-worker uh, for this first very critical phase of our ministry. We are big about preparing in the early phase of our ministry for 20, 30 years in the field. We don't want to burn out in the first couple of years because we didn't prepare well. Or we don't want to do 30 years of bad ministry because we didn't prepare well. And so we prayed about this a lot. We worked at it very hard and we feel like the Lord really answered and we're very pleased with uh, what happened here in this phase. Here's a picture of the McPhails. As I mentioned, they're on furlough now. Uh, they're based out of Chicago. And these are pictures, uh, some of them from around our house, the monks, the statue, and the spirit house from around our house. This year, this brings us up to the present in our current ministry. Uh, June 2012, I mentioned the McPhails left for a one-year furlough, and we transitioned into full-time ministry on our own for the first time. And as I mentioned, it was not, it was not uh, scary. It was just... It was a very pleasant transition. At the moment, uh, we are on a short three-month furlough. The main purpose of that, of course, is to uh, get Elizabeth uh, at college at BJ. Uh, but we're also presenting to our churches up here in Michigan. We have churches in various pockets around the United States. Uh, Michigan, Ohio is one of the biggest ones for us. And because of our kids' ages, we're going to be coming back to the U.S. pretty much every year. And so we'll be presenting to a different pocket of churches each year. This is the Michigan-Ohio pocket with one church in Ontario. If that's all right with you guys. You guys okay with church in Ontario? <laughs> uh, 
Um, we go back in October, and then we're going to be in Posada alone again until the McPhails return in 2013 in June. They're going for a full year furlough. But this is what, we, uh, this is what the future looks like for us at this point. Uh, they come back in 2013, and really their goal is not to stay. Uh, through our relationship and our partnership together with McPhails, their plan is really to move on and leave the ministry in our hands, which is a tremendous compliment. Um, they want to go start a new work in another province by about 2014. Uh, Forrest has promised Jennifer six months in the house and no more. I can't promise more than six months, he says. So they come back in June. They plan on doing survey trips and really honing in on where that place is going to be uh, so they can leave, and they want to leave the church plant in Posat and the other ministries around there in my hands as they go to start another uh, work. This, to Forrest and I, is uh, such a blessing. He has very good gifting in the areas of cutting-edge church planting. He is great at evangelism and walking up to somebody's door and starting a conversation and getting a Bible study going. I do those things too because I studied under Forrest. But he is gifted that way. But he is not so gifted at the discipleship and teaching. I mean, he is. He does those things. He has done them all along. I don't want to come across as saying he's ungifted in those areas. He's not ungifted. He, he does those things very well. But those are things that I really enjoy doing. And so it just seems very natural for him to go off somewhere and start a bleeding edge in a place where there is no missionary to start another church plant while I tend the church in Posat and continue to encourage its growth and really do the things that I saw in the first service this morning, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. My wife and kids both said, did you hear what he was saying this morning? It sounds like you, Dad. So thanks, Matt. <laughs> and he used one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, which is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. That passage doesn't stop until 10, so I, I always use that as my soapbox. Anyway, so the idea would be that we stay behind in Posat there and continue the development of the church plant that's in Posat, continue discipleship there, and also seek to plant another church in the province, which I'm going to talk about here very soon. This is the main church plant in Posat City. Uh, the city has about 500, or I'm sorry, the province has 500,000 people. The city we live in has 50,000. Our church has 35 people, which is very big. Uh, depending upon who's there, some people live in Korea right now. We'll be coming back after a couple of years. But between 30 and 20 and 30 people is our usual uh, Sunday morning attendance. Um, we meet in a house. We don't have a church building. It's a very uh, low-key situation. It's centered around the preaching and teaching of God's Word, gathering together early in the morning for prayer. They get together before work on Friday at 6 o'clock in the morning to pray together. Um, a very community-oriented... It has to be that way in Cambodia because it's much like the early centuries in, in the Bible uh, where believers were ostracized in the community and they only had one another. It's much like that in Cambodia. Uh, this is the pastor. You've seen his name in our prayer letters and his wife. They are T and Hui is their names. is how you pronounce it. T and Hui. Uh, they have been married now for about two years. They have a daughter named Mana, uh, named after the Mana of the Scriptures. Cambodians are just like us. They become Christians. They start naming their kids after all these things in the Bible. And people say, well, they have American names. No, they don't. They have Bible names. Uh, T and Hui have been married for a couple years. Uh, T was ordained about a year and a half ago and has been leading the church. Now, I have come in. T is the pastor of the church. Forrest has now gone. And I have not replaced either one of them. I am not the pastor of the church. And I want to make that very clear, first of all, to them and also to let you guys know what we're doing. 
My responsibility is not to replace T or to, to really help him on Sunday. I'm not there on Sunday. Uh, our church has avoided going to church on Sunday with them. And it sounds really bad, but <laughs> the reason is that our goal, what we want to do in Cambodia is to plant churches that know how to sustain themselves with the teaching and preaching of God's word, and more so than that, know how to propagate the gospel in their own area. And so at this point, I'm not even going to be doing more evangelism in Posat City. I'm telling T, that's now your responsibility as the leader of this church is to get these people together and do evangelism in this community. Now, Americans are more adept at traveling than Cambodians are. We're used to it. We do it all the time because our land is huge. We have to, to do anything. So I'm going to be based out of Posat City still. I'm going to be doing Bible studies and continuing evangelism in the area around the city. But uh, my goal is not merely to plant a church in Posat City, Cambodia. My goal is to see this church in Posat City, Cambodia able to sustain itself with the continued preaching and teaching of God's word and application of it in their society and to do the evangelism to propagate their faith elsewhere on their own. That's really what I'm trying to get this church to do. And my presence there every Sunday morning is not going to encourage that. They're still going to depend upon me. And so we have backed out. Uh, at the moment, we're worshiping on Sunday morning with an African man named Daniel who speaks almost no Khmer. He can ask for a little bit of food on the street, and that's about it. Uh, so he's been our excuse not to be at church. We've told the church people will be at our house worshiping in English on Sunday morning. Uh, every other, there's another uh, uh, Bible study I'll tell you about in a second here. My main role with respect to the church is teaching T more at the Bible college level. I am presently teaching him hermeneutics. Uh, working on things like homiletics. Uh, I spend a ton of time with T and our deacon in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. That's pretty much, it seems like every Sunday, that's what I'm doing with them. We meet on Sunday evening. Uh, the men of the church, as the leaders, uh, Cambodia is a society, like I mentioned, is, uh, rank in society is very important. And so I'm working with the leadership level in the church to do what we see in the book of Titus. Here's Paul writing to Titus, telling Titus that he needs to establish elders in all the churches on the island of Crete. And then beyond that, he wants the older people. He starts off in chapter 2 with the older men and the younger lady, or the older men, older men and older ladies. And he wants them to be an example and to encourage the younger people in the church to do what they ought to be doing, which is to find what we heard this morning, good works. And so that's my role with the church right now. This morning, what you saw taking place here at Community Baptist Church is exactly what I'm trying to encourage at this church in Posad. I'm working with the leadership, not so that I can tell everybody in the church what they ought to do, but so these Cambodian people, having their faith rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing the gospel changing their lives, and having this Bible in their hands, which is profitable for them to be equipped for every good work, are encouraging one another as a community of believers to glorify God by applied righteousness. And I'm doing that through T. I'm doing that through the deacon. We have one deacon. It's a small church. only need one. And the men, as they lead their families, as they lead their wives and they raise their children, so that this body of believers can glorify Jesus Christ by showing the community what Jesus Christ is like. You guys might remember reading in our prayer letters about a man named On. Uh, I've struggled with how to spell his name. I think I spelled it A-U-N, but it spells like O-N. Uh, it'd just be just as good. On was an absolute drunkard. After his first and second profession of faith, he got kicked out of the church twice. Uh, the first time he got kicked out of the church, he just was livid, 
cursed forest out with some of the worst things you could possibly say in combined. And his neighbors all knew what the man was like until about two years ago the Lord really got a hold of the man's heart and he experienced what's called regeneration where the Holy Spirit comes in and his heart was renewed and there were just obvious changes in the man's life. And in a communal society like Cambodia, that's obvious. Everybody saw on change. Everybody saw a man that used to come home drunk and swear at his wife and kids sober all the time. Everybody saw this man growing in righteousness, growing in kindness. And uh, he is today with the Lord. He died unexpectedly about two weeks ago. And his funeral glorified the Lord in that community. This is what we want that church to be able to do without us. It's important that we do it first when we get there as missionaries. It's ultimately important. I mean, ultimate in a chronological sense. It is ultimately important that when we leave, they continue doing this without us. And my responsibility with respect to this church is to encourage that to happen. And I'm doing it kind of, like I mentioned, from the outside, working with the leaders of the church. Church planning is still a major responsibility of mine, one that I will never let go of until the day I die. Uh, this is what it's all about for us. Uh, this is an area that you see in our predators called Talo. Uh, it's only, let's see, 35 kilometers, boils down to roughly 20-something miles. It's not that far away, but it takes me two and a half, uh, sometimes three hours to get there on motorcycle. Uh, the first picture on my slide presentation with the rice fields, rice fields look like waffles. You know how waffles have those ridges? That's what rice fields are like because rice grows in water, at least the way they do it. And I have to ride my motorcycle down the waffle ridges to get to this guy's house. We were taking some Thai people out there and we had to stop for a second and some girl on the motorcycle behind me says, is there another way to get the PAX house? I said, yep, there's that one and then that one and then that one. <laughs> They're all going that way. <laughs> it's about this wide and if you fall, you're over, you know, knee deep in mud, water and you know, the animals walk around in that too. So anyway, this guy's house is only about 20-some miles away from mine, but this is really remote. Uh, you'd never see any signs of civilization on Google Maps or Google Earth with this. Uh, the man in the green shirt is Peck. He was saved about a year and a half ago under forest ministry. His wife is in the front with her hands on the shoulder of their youngest child. Her name is Team. I think I even spell her name T-E-E-M in our prayer letter. Peak is spelled P-H-E-A-K. P-H is not the F sound in Kamai. It's an aspirated P, Peak, as opposed to Peck, which is unaspirated. In any case, Peck and his wife have four children. Uh, the two daughters have come to Christ under Peck's own leadership in his family. I didn't lead them to the Lord. Forrest didn't lead them to the Lord. Peck's own work in his family has led his two daughters to Christ. Uh, he has been very diligent about Bible study in his home every night. He's been very diligent about leading in prayer and singing songs. And we're talking about a village where there's almost nobody there. He's very isolated. There's nobody to help him if I don't come. And I can only get there, really, once every two weeks. It kills me to get there. It's physically very arduous. And so this will be our once-every-other-Sunday morning uh, ministry when we get back to Cambodia. Uh, the other people are all Thai. Uh, there's a Thai missionary beside me and then three Thai ladies that came on a short-term missions trip. Behind Peck, very dark figure. He's wearing a black shirt. He's got very dark skin. He's in the shade under a tree. But his name is Paul. He was raised, it's P-H-O-H is how it's spelled in my prayer letters, Paul. Raised in an orphanage, can sing all the songs, prays beautifully, but doesn't really understand the faith. 
but uh, he has grown like a weed under the ministry of the word, whether it's been me teaching or Forrest teaching, or even now that I'm gone, I just found this out through Forrest. Every Sunday, they're having worship services without us, and Paul is coming every week to hear an uneducated man teach, to hear Peg teach, because Peg is very emphatic about we must read the scriptures every Sunday, we must pray, we must study. And whatever it is he has learned from us, he is now teaching to Paul and his daughters and his sons, who are now a little bit young, but they're, they're growing up. <clears throat> uh, we have a lot of hope in this area because we see this man, Peg, the Lord is really using him. He has a shepherd's heart. With almost no education, the man can read well. That's unusual. He's been saved for a year. He's had some very basic Bible teaching. But whatever he has received, that he is propagating with the people around him. And so this is a very encouraging thing to us. There are some other people in the area. Uh, there's a four-square orphanage that, um, that leads probably about 20 people from this village, 20 out of, what, 100 people, uh, once every two or three months in worship, and they call it a church, but it's really not. It's really just a handout station, and the, guy doesn't, the, the, the pastor, the Cambodian pastor, we're not even sure if he is a believer. He doesn't, he doesn't read his Bible when he comes and teaches. He just tells a good story. But those people have been coming to listen to us because some of them are believers and they're hungry for the Word of God. And they'll sit outside the house and listen to us as we teach and preach the Bible because they are God's sheep. They want God's Word. And we have told them they need to separate from this other pastor. We're not going to be sheep stealers. They have to voluntarily leave that flock before they can join ours. But there's a lot of potential in this particular community and I'm going to be spending a lot of my energy and time uh, developing uh, the faith of Pat and his wife and Paul. Peck, team, and Paul. Probably much easier for me to say than for you to say. And I've already just talked all through that slide. Other responsibilities that we have in Cambodia. Ongoing evangelism. Uh, as you've, you've read in our prayer letters, uh, we had an emphasis on dry season evangelism not so long ago. This is really a big prayer request for us. We would, we would ask that you continue praying for us in this matter. Evangelism in Cambodia is not like what it is here. When you go on evangelism here and you mention God and the cross and things about Jesus, people generally understand what you're talking about. In Cambodia, when you say God, an all-supreme, single God that is omniscient and omnipresent and all those omni-things that we talk about is not what they think. They have many gods. And their gods are not the only God and their gods are not like our God. And so we can't just go up and talk to them and say something like, God so loved the world. In fact, in Buddhism, loving somebody else is offensive. The Buddha was trying to separate himself from all feelings and emotions. And they revere him for that. So when you say that our God loves people, that can be offensive at first. When you talk about sin... Sin to them is, like I mentioned about karma, it's just good luck, bad luck, good deeds, bad deeds. There's no sense in which I am guilty before my creator for having transgressed his law or rebelled against him in any sense. And so when you talk about sin, you're talking, you're saying something, and you're assuming that what they're hearing is what you're saying, but it's not. You have to explain the concept of sin before they really grasp it. So evangelism takes a ton of effort on our, on our part. Uh, usually this is the way it works. Somebody gets interested when we do door-to-door evangelism. We start a Bible study, and some people profess faith early on. But it's not until we're about 
you know, six, eight weeks into teaching, we, go, we have a, a curriculum we use that goes from Genesis, from creation all the way to Christ, through the resurrection. And it's usually not until we really begin talking about the significance of the cross that people go, oh, now I get it. I mean, we told them about the cross before. But they didn't get it because they didn't understand the Creator. They didn't understand guilt. They didn't understand sin. They didn't understand any of these concepts. And they sounded right to them, but they didn't really grasp it. So evangelism takes a ton of work. And more than just one open door, it takes that same door remaining open for an extended period of time. And so often I'll go to a house and there will be really, really a lot of good signs. And someone will say, yes, come back. I want to hear more. And you go two or three times, and finally they say, well, I'm not interested anymore. Or they just they do something that socially lets you know they're not interested anymore. Why? Because they're beginning to get pressure from the neighbors or from parents or grandparents. And so when I say pray for us in evangelism, I mean pray diligently. Pray that the Lord would keep doors open. Pray that people would be willing to endure persecution just to get saved, just to be able to be willing to listen two, three, four, five, six times so they can really grasp what the gospel means. This is a significant amount of work on our part and it takes a lot of prayer. Random Bible studies, they always come and go. Somebody will study for a while, then they move. And then I'll get a call from a missionary and they'll say, hey, somebody just moved into your area. Will you go study with them? And I'll say, yep. And then three weeks later, they'll be gone again. This happens all the time. Um, uh, Development of Khmer resources. You're talking about a very small... uh, language group here, you know, 14 million Khmer speakers in the world, and so people aren't really diligently producing books for this little tiny language, and so we are doing it. Uh, We have a good, probably two good Bible translations, a third one that's in the works, we have a New Testament so far, uh, that are reliable, but in terms of other things, like my uh, Bible study with T on hermeneutics, Bible interpretation, that's something I developed in English, And I am now translating that into Kamai before I teach it to T because there's nothing in Kamai for him. I have to do that. And so every missionary is pretty much, if you can read and write in Kamai, you're pretty much not on top of your evangelism, on top of your church planning works, you're also doing translation, and so am I. And then ongoing language study, which for me I think is going to happen until I die because this language is just, it is not easy. It's very hard. So, Okay, I think I've gone pretty much to my time here. So I'll leave it at that. If you guys have questions, I'm not going to keep everybody because of the, the time, but we will be hanging around by our table there. And if you have questions, please do come by and ask us. Uh, something was strange or different, you want to know more about it during my discussion this morning, please do uh, come and, and talk and ask us about it. Pastor Ken. Well, thank you, Michael, for coming. Thank you to your family for coming and for that very informative update and for the work you all are doing there. Uh, Whenever I hear missionary, uh, my mind goes to one of my favorite verses uh, about uh, our work with missionaries, even though we're stateside. And it's Philippians uh, 1, 3 through 5. And Paul says there to the Christians at Philippi that uh, I thank God every time I remember you. Uh, And he says that in all of my prayers for all of you, I give thanks with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And you can see very clearly in what Michael has said here that he's centered on the gospel, the gospel of grace, in, in uh, contrast to the works-oriented approach to every other religion, certainly including Buddhism. And we are privileged to be partners 
in prayer and financially as well. So you can be assured of our continued partnership in prayer and financially. So let's ask the Lord's blessing upon them and on ourselves as we depart, all right? Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for being able to uh, sing your praises together, to give back to you as you have first given to us, to hear your word proclaimed, and to hear this presentation from our brother about the work that you're doing through them in the land of Cambodia. We thank you for your work in them to produce uh, joy in the dedication to Christ and the sacrifice for Christ that goes with what they are doing. And uh, we ask your continued blessing upon their efforts. Uh, help them as they seek to evangelize with all of the obstacles that our brother has, has mentioned. We ask that you will help them to overcome those obstacles, that you will pave the way for them, and that your spirit would move on hearts ahead of them. And, Lord, we ask that you would uh, help them with their language study. Uh, as well, and that that would continue to progress. And we ask you to grant them safety, grant their needs, and grant them continued joy in the journey. Go with us this week as we seek to serve you in our mission field and bring us back uh, safely next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.